1: So, thank you very much. Go check out the site,
0: strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowery. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder.
1: Yeah, this is Phil Stevens, powerlifter, strength coach, Highland Games athlete, and I'm brewing some ginger beer for my first time. Started it last Ooh, night.
2: We'll yeah, see how that goes. That sounds great. Yeah, uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I created a Flux Diet certification, faculty member of the Kerrigan Institute, and still down here in uh, South Padre, Texas. went uh, out kiteboarding yesterday, and it's 30 to 37 miles per hour right now, maybe gusting in the 40s, so hopefully I'll head out after this. So that's good, then? That's what you want? Um, Yeah, as long as it's not super gusty. I mean, mm-hmm. down here, when you get it northerly, it gets colder and overcast, so... Here, it's like trying to get out before it rains, and uh, you don't want to be flying a kite with 100-meter lines and lightning. <laughs> <That's bad. laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I see. Um, other than that, I've ridden in the rain and stuff before when it's that windy, and it's pretty fun. It's not as, it's not as good as like the nice sunny day we had uh, last night, but the wind, because of the temperature, tends to be more consistent. And then also, it's, it sounds weird, but it's also more kind of punchier and grunty. Because the pressure drops a lot of times, and the air actually gets colder. So cold air is actually a little bit more dense than super warm air. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Physics lesson for today. <laughs> <laughs> is this like Boyle's law? I try to remember my <laughs>
0: gas oh, temperature.
2: to name it. I'm going to fail on that. I know, I me too. I uh, was <laughs> probably wrong. <laughs>
0: um, uh, all right, everybody. We have two bits of mail. We have three studies here. Um, and then after the break, we're going to discuss our top three um, nutrition for self-care. And I mean like food, right? Not supplements, but what do we, what do we eat or drink specifically out of um, health and self-care, okay? Uh, let me start with uh, some letters here. This first one was Arthur Lynch. Uh, Arthur listens to the show. He does his own podcast, the No Lift podcast. Uh, we've had him on before from Ireland. Um, and I thought I would share some of this, uh, Phil, you know about this in the background, I believe he was asking about Marty. Um, yeah. yep. but basically he says, uh, Hey guys, uh, hope you're keeping well. I must say, I really enjoyed the podcast episode from last weekend when I saw the title was, I was expecting something more along the lines of guys leaving bars, uh, loaded <laughs> and things of that nature. Cause I think it was social, uh, gym irritations mm-hmm. anyway. Um, He said the posing thing was an interesting one. I once witnessed a competitive bodybuilder who stripped down to his underwear in the gym so that he could take progress photos for his coach. Needless to say, a rather awkward conversation ensued when the female instructor saw what was going on and kindly asked him to put his clothes back on. Um, I've had certain degree of sympathy for him insofar that that's his thing and you do need to monitor where you're at, but at the same time read the room a little better. And yeah, I think that's Arthur, definitely what we were getting at is, you know, the the irrepressible posers, you know, (laughs) they can't, they can't resist. Um, There's ways to do that privately. You know, in the past, I would wait for the gym to close or, um, you know, locker room or something like that instead of just basically walking around naked. Um, Anyway. He says, I know you put a lot of time and effort into the show as it is, but do you think it could be possible to include links to the papers that you discussed during the episodes? I'm always intrigued by some of the studies, but I find it hard to track some of them down. So it's a good point, Arthur, about adding links. At the very least, I I try to read the authors, and I think I will include the the titles of the paper so people can just kind of Google that. I know even doing that, or even if you're familiar with PubMed, it's not always easy to pick the specific paper, especially because sometimes we get them from... uh, a third source, you know, one of these like science news catchers uh, website kind of things. But um, plus, Arthur's an educated guy and he's going to want to go r- dig into the methods, and not everybody might want that, I suppose. But um, he says, lastly, I was hoping to get Marty Gallagher on my own show, um, and he was just trying to reach him. And I know Phil knows how to get a hold of Marty, so uh, just kind of moving that along. I did make a comment. Um, and I would say this to Marty too. I'd probably get some crap for it, but I said he's a handful, you know, he's a very charismatic guy and lots of experience and that kind of stuff, you know, but I mean that in a good way. Anyway, thank you Arthur. That was helpful as far as some of you guys actually looking for links and that sort of thing. Um this other one is more of a a medical issue and I'll leave it anonymous. I don't I don't think the r- listener cares, but he says, uh, hi, all I've been a regular listener since the beginning, and it's a recognizable name. You know who you are. Um, past supporter, I need to start doing that again, lol. Uh, thanks so much for continuing to provide great content for all of us. My question is, how can I find accurate information about dealing with or living with AFib, so atrial fibrillation, uh, and if people aren't familiar, you know, the, those chambers of your heart are the upper chambers. They kind of – quiver if you will and you can have problems with throwing clots and it's an arrhythmia nobody nobody really wants that um they're not the main pumping force if you will like your ventricles but still it's it's a real concern uh and he says uh and what how what i should know about how strength training relates to it um i've been doing powerlifting based movements for about 15 years I would like not to give this up, but my overall health and safety must come first. I wonder if you could post this question. Um, thanks. Uh, and I'm I, just going to offer this. Now, Mike worked in uh, med tech and engineering, so I'm sure he's got some other info. One of the simple things, and this is a bit of a cop-out, but if you get physician approval to exercise, tell him what you're doing and, you know, him or her and see what they say. Um, a simple screen is the PAR-Q. I don't know how well that's going to pick up something like AFib, uh, but that's a typical thing you could just Google online and kind of look at a PAR-Q. That's what like, an exercise physiologist would use to screen that you're you know, healthy enough to exercise or whether you really need to get something in writing from your doctor, so to speak. There's also the AACVPR, um, American Association of Cardiovascular and Pulmonary uh, Rehab Professionals and they might have some info too. So A A C V P R, it's such a huge acronym. I don't think you're going to pull up a bunch of other stuff if you google that. Uh and then read what you can about what's safe and what's not. I think it's really important to be educated yourself even even as you're relying on your, you know, on your doc to give you
2: the go ahead that it's safe. Uh Mike, any any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, the the best thing you can do is similar to what you said, Lonnie, is you know find good quality information. Um, you can find a really good EP. It's an EP. You'll deal with electrophysiologists. Um, that's going to be your best guide because there's all sorts of different options for AFib, everything from potentially some lifestyle, potentially some nutritional stuff, all the way to different um, surgical procedures for it. Um, the surgical procedures, it just depends upon what kind of AFib you have, where does it start from. Um, I've had a client who had AFib and went to his EP, and long story short, they ended up doing uh, what's called a pulmonary uh, vein ablation. So if you look at where some of the veins come into the atrium, they think that a lot of AFib starts around where the pulmonary veins enter. So they'll do some form of uh, ablation, whether it's RF or cryo, and they'll literally create a scar around that whole area. So I'll try to wall off the start of it. The good part about some of those procedures is they potentially can be, quote, curative. Um, the downside is they're still not close to 100%. <clears throat> They've definitely gotten much, much, much better on those over the past few years. So there's different options on that. Um, some stuff, this is a paper from... I'm not sure what the journal is here, but if you look up lifestyle modification in the prevention and treatment of atrial fibrillation, the first author is actually Arthur R. Men- Menzines, M. E. N. E. Z. E. S. So they kind of go through a nice. It's open access, so you can you can get it. Uh, just different things that he's probably already doing. Um, obesity is a big uh, factor related to AF. Uh, of sleep apnea is another one too. So if he hasn't had a sleep study, that's something to highly consider. Uh, you can do them even online now. You don't necessarily have to go in for <clears throat> what's called a full PSG unless you need to. Um, even out of pocket, I've had clients do the online ones and you know they're around 200 bucks, 250 bucks. so it's not uh, super crazy expensive. Um, obviously he's probably been screened for hypertension. that's gonna potentially make it worse. Uh, diabetes, if he has that, it'll make it worse, alcohol consumption, if you go crazy on that. And as you mentioned, a lot of physical activity, basically anything that causes stretch in the atrium can potentially uh, worsen AFib. So with lifters, while it's very controversial that when you're doing a lot of high pressure lifts all of the time, some people are more Uh, susceptible to that causing potentially changes in the cardiac tissue itself. Uh, If you look at what is the direct opposite of that from a stimulus standpoint, uh, low-level, kind of aerobic-based building, cardiovascular stuff. Um, So he may talk to his doc if he gets cleared for exercise. He may consider adding in some aerobic-based building stuff and then just monitoring his AFib and see if that makes it better or worse. Mm -hmm. Um, Last thing, too, is that I've had some clients play around with uh, high-dose fish oil. Mm-hmm. There's, it's very split in the literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, a physician called name Nameless in um, Wisconsin several years ago, he used to do infusions of really high-dose fish oil for AFib, and he claimed that it was very successful. Infusions. Uh, the literature that I've seen is very mixed. And when I asked him about it, because I did a lot of consulting between him and what we were working on for projects, is... Uh, he said that they didn't use a high enough dose for it and they didn't do it over a short enough period of time. So, again, talk to his doc about that and also ask about magnesium might be potentially helpful too.
0: Yeah, I didn't even occur to me about the infusion part. I had read some stuff years ago. I don't have the author yeah. in front of me about fish oils being antiarrhythmic kind of thing. Um,
2: yeah, it's it's very controversial because if you look at fish oil with, uh, I think it was a Gisezi trial with implanted devices, it's really, really mixed, and everyone goes back and forth about what are the mechanisms, and you've got you know tissue that's already kind of irritable, and you may be changing it by adding super high-dose fish oil. Other people argue that that may actually stabilize some of the tissue, and at the end of the day, it's it's probably, we don't understand the differences enough between one person and the next, so it may potentially help. One person that may not be beneficial for somebody else. So if you take all these people and you just kind of put them into one trial, you get kind of mixed results with it.
0: Yeah. It's one more thing that, I mean, let's face it, people take fish wheels for lots of reasons and it's one more potential benefit, I suppose, you know, mm-hmm. that you don't have to do it just because of a potential, you know, electrophysiology problem with your heart. It does comfort me a little. Uh, everybody before I hit record, I was just talking to the guys and I, uh, back in the day, I would Use pre workouts and things like that. And sometimes back in those days, right, things contained ephedra and some pretty strong stimulants, and you combine that with bad sleep and overwork. And oh, yeah. I gave myself some premature atrial contractions, so not as severe as AFib, but along similar lines. And so nowadays, I'm like, well, I'm glad I take some pretty high dose fish oils. Uh, I've read a few things about, uh, I believe, taurine in the past. There's a couple of different things you might look up and the effects but it always just weirds me out the whole heart electrical system and how if it, it could misfire and things like that it, it almost makes you paranoid when you read that literature a lot you know because we're not talking about slow occlusive type you know heart attack risk like most people talk about we're talking about something
2: that's you know
0: electrical <laughs> it just kind of scares me a little bit um
2: Yeah. I did a bunch of research because I had an atrial septal defect repaired when I was four and a half. So I've got a scar that goes all the way through my atrium. And obviously, I still had a thoracotomy scar from it too. But because I've got this line of massive scar tissue through the, the atrium, I asked a bunch of VPs and other people at the University of Minnesota if I'm at a higher risk for AFib and they're like, well, we don't know. There's just such a small population of people who have survived that. We don't have enough data. Um, but as the older I got, I've kind of hedged my bets a little bit more, doing more cardiovascular-type stuff to make sure that I'm not putting a constant amount of higher stretch and force through the cardiac tissue without having something to kind of balance it out, which is mm-hmm. I don't know, just something I chose to do personally.
0: You know, I, I would think the fish oils might also – uh, I, I don't remember what I read about the risk for for clots, essentially, you know, and yeah, people on plastics almost non-existent. And, OK, but the fish oils would help with that, too. You would think on to some level. So. All right. Well, I yeah. hope that's at least some tips. Um, yep.
2: Uh, Obviously, none of that's medical advice. No, we are not <laughs> medical doctors. Uh,
1: I've helped a few people with that. And it's right. It's spot on with what you were saying. So, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, it's super individual, too. Mm-hmm. You know, so getting them to monitor it, making a slight change, working with their doc. And if it gets to be progressively worse, you know, there are surgical and sometimes potentially implantable device options, too.
0: All right. Yep. Um, We have three little studies here. Strength and Muscle Sport News. They sort of have an antioxidant theme. Uh, I have such a stack of things that's built up. Um, I try to make them thematic. Here are some things that might make people feel good. Some of this stuff is about, um, immune. Some is about muscle strength versus hypertrophy. It's funny, but in the news lately, we've been talking about this quite a bit, like things that help or hamper hypertrophy. They're not always the same things that help or hamper strength gains, right? Um, But this first one is mostly just a positive thing. makes me glad. This is actually on my self-care list as far as foods. Uh, This is from the Journal of Food Science, Yang and colleagues. This is January of 2021. So pretty new stuff. Investigation on the biological activity of anthocyanins and polyphenols in blueberry. So again, I'm just a big believer. I know a lot of nutrition professors like myself that specifically seek out mixed berries, right? Blueberries. It says, um, blueberry is a fruit recognized in the world as healthy, and many of its active ingredients have important physiologic functions. This study analyzed the antioxidant activity, the anti-tumor activity, and immune function of anthocyanins and polyphenols extracted from blueberries. Now, what I thought was interesting here is they're looking at the standardized extracts, which they kind of did themselves, uh, versus just crude mixtures, because that's an ongoing debate. Right, and we've all heard it over the years. Like, do you go for the singular extract and make it really potent, or are we better benefited by this unknown combination, right, of things that happen uh, in the plant? So it says the purified anthocyanins and polyphenol compounds showed higher antioxidant activity again compared to the crude extract, whereas the crude extract had a better inhibitory effect on tumor proliferation says, the result of a synergistic effect of multiple compounds. So that, this might be an argument um, you know, for the whole food people, perhaps. The crude extracts are also more efficient at improving immune function as reflected by measurements of change in body weight, thymus and spleen indices, macrophage, phagocytosis, uh, lymphocyte transformation capacity, SOD activity, so uh, superoxide dismutase, antioxidant, um, malondialdehyde content, and serum NO levels. So these results indicate that blueberry anthocyanins and polyphenol extracts can improve immune function, reduce metastasis, uh, and proliferation of cancer cells, et cetera. It says practical application. I like how they do this at the end. Uh, we compared the biological activity of crude and purified anthocyanins and polyphenol extracts from blueberries and tested their effects on improving immune function. The study contributes to a better understanding of the bioactivity of blueberry extracts Uh, and is valuable for applying them in medicine. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I just go for the whole blueberries and mixed berries. I kind of use the fill method. I use other carbs as the vehicle to get them in my pie hole. So I I just mix them in my oatmeal. Um, So you're doing yourself a a, a real favor probably here. Uh, And again, they're linking the anti-cancer effects with better immune surveillance, as you might guess, right? Better immune function is going to... Take down those cancer cells so they're less of a problem. Anyway, so I thought that was pretty interesting. This next one, and um, I know you guys, we've talked about this one over the years. This is not a new paper, but a listener sent it in and, and posted it on Facebook, and I don't recall who did it, so I apologize for that. But this is from the Journal of Physiology. Uh, Paulson and colleagues, a lot of colleagues here, this is October 2014, so it's not new, but it's one of those things that crops up, you know, as to whether antioxidants, a lot of people perceive, oh, just healthy, just do that. But, you know, you don't want to erase a lot of the, some of that machinery in a cell if you want to get bigger and stronger, right? So vitamin C and E supplementation alters protein signaling after a strength training session, but not muscle growth during 10 weeks of training. So key points here, it says, although antioxidant supplements are generally believed to give health benefits, recent experiments show that they may adversely affect adaptations to endurance exercise. They were looking specifically at high doses of vitamins C and E, and bear with me, I'll, I'll get to that. The vitamin C and E supplement did not significantly blunt muscle hypertrophy during 10 weeks of training. Okay, so in a sense, that's good if you're taking C and E for other reasons. Uh, However, some measurements of muscle strength revealed lower increases in the supplemented group than in the placebo group. This study implies that redox signaling is important for inducing skeletal muscle adaptations to strength training, and that vitamin C and E supplements in high doses should be avoided by healthy young individuals engaged in strength training. Interesting. Um, And again, so this is sort of bifurcating if you will you know one on one way you've got the the power lifters and the other way we have the bodybuilders what do they think the high dose i don't have um all of the details here but i'm looking at the um the introduction and i believe this is free you could just go get this it's old enough now um but they were talking about other researchers here says theodoru and colleagues administered a thousand migs of vitamin c and 400 iu of vitamin e daily to recreationally trained men The supplements had no effects on muscle performance after four weeks of training. But, you know, that's eight sessions, they say. uh, Nor on the recovery after eccentric exercise. And they go on and show another one. A lot of the high dose, when they say high dose, they mean 1,000 milligrams a day. You know, more than 400 or equal to 400 IUs of vitamin E a day. My practical tip on this is when I take C and E, and I do sometimes, especially when I'm very sore because there is some indication that it could help. In fact, our own lab, we looked at tocotrienols and, and saw some potential benefits. But I always go with 250 milligrams of C, which is a quarter of what they're talking about here, and 200 IUs of vitamin E um, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, you'll see tissue saturation on, you know, even a 500 milligram dose of vitamin C may be uh, too high, uh, probably beyond tissue saturation the other thing is that vitamin C in very high doses, it'll backfire and become a pro-oxidant. Um, vitamin E, uh, there's two researchers, the Meydani's, M-E-Y-D-A-N-I, and they've done a lot of really good stuff about vitamin E, and they suggest 200. So when you go to Target or Walmart, they're always selling these super high-dose ones. In my opinion, they're very high, and I, I don't want that. So I have to actually search around on Amazon to get my... 250 vitamin C and and 200 IU vitamin E. Um, But Mike, I I know you've read up on this in the past as well. What's your your take on the antioxidants? Do you ever take them? Are you concerned about muscle growth or strength or?
2: I've kind of gone back and forth on it. Um, Some of the original vitamin C data was done in mice, which showed it to be not so good. There was some human data, if I remember right. I think uh, Dr. Eric Trexler did a really nice review on it, too. And <clears throat> it's not all antioxidants, if I remember correctly. It was the ones you had just talked about, Lana C, and E. Mm-hmm. But the doses were pretty darn high, I think over like several grams per day. Oh, And then you get into the timing of it also. And that was grams for C, and E was, I think, close to 800 IUs. I'd have to double-check that. Um, And sometimes if giving it immediately after exercise may potentially be worse because you're blunting more of those effects then. Um, Oddly enough, some other ones like NAC might be beneficial during exercise. Um, All the data I've ever seen from, you know, vegetables or anything that's kind of derived from there that's not just highly singled out um, doesn't appear to have any of those effects. Yeah. I know some people for a while went crazy and they're like, well, let's not have any vegetables around the time we lift and it's going to screw with our gains. Oh Lord. Yeah. No, No. you don't need to worry about that. Um, so I, yeah. And at the back of my head, I always think of there's not a lot you can do to really completely stop adaptation, right? I mean, if you're doing enough volume and lifting heavy enough, I haven't really seen anything that's going to have, a massive effect. Even in younger people looking at NSAIDs, yeah, there is some data showing that it can potentially have an effect. Paradoxically it's mildly anabolic in older people. But even then, like we've talked about before and Phil's talked about too, like you see a lot of lifters who are older who take a fair amount of Advil and still do okay. Yep. Right? You could argue they could do better, but I still think there is something to the effect size. It's probably statistically significant from the data, but What does that actually mean in the real world that of all the things you can be worried about, I'm not super worried about it? The curious thing I saw here, and this is
0: relevant to Facebook and to Phil more than does me, but is that it looks like it it might have an impact on the strength, you know, negative impact on the strength Mm -hmm. more so than the hypertrophy. Um, Phil, do you have any thoughts on this? Do you take antioxidants or um, recovery? You know, um, I know you take lots of Advil. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, and I I don't do that a lot anymore. Um, It's probably just because I don't hurt as much as I used to. But, you know, I took some this morning because I'm going to go squat heavy and deadlift heavy, and it just makes me feel better. Um, And, you know, we've talked about that a lot before. It's, you know, what's worse, like me taking a few Advil so I can push things really hard or Mm -hmm. not taking it and then not being able to push so hard. Long term? I have to believe that just being able to to push hard enough over long term is has greater benefits than me just being in pain and then having to have lackluster workouts and things like that. So mm-hmm. basically, I usually take it once a week now. Um, oh. Because hmm. I'm just not in as much pain as I used to. You're be.
0: repaired. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, I wouldn't want to be, like, before my hip replacement, I was popping Advil a lot. Uh, but that's because I hurt. So <laughs> yeah. that was more for daily life than anything. Um, and then uh, vitamin E and stuff. Nah, man, I, I don't, aside from my, what's in my daily. Uh, the only things I take all the time are like my fish oils, my vitamin D, and uh, uh, a multivitamin. And Other than that, we really try and have an emphasis on let's not eat like kids. <laughs> so we try eat to like eat like, like an
2: adult? adult. What are you talking yeah.
0: about?
1: You know, eat like an adult, eats <laughs> eat some like vegetables adult. and fruits and... Things like that. So, yeah.
0: Again, I, I don't want to conflate these things too much. I mean, on one side, we have the antioxidants like C and E, and then we have the, you know, analgesics and anti inflammatories like the, you know, ibuprofen thing. But, um, and let's face it, I mean, being a little sore, don't be a wimp. You know, if you need yeah. a little bit of that soreness and inflammation to trigger the growth process, yeah, I kind of like to be sore, to be honest. I'm not trying to erase it. Oh, yeah.
1: Not Like muscle soreness and stuff? Yeah, I don't yeah.
0: I take Advil. That, I embrace no. that. That's
1: just part of the process. <laughs> oh, it's joint pain that I try and avoid.
0: It's a good so. point. Joint pain completely because I'm still an Advil guy. Uh, unlike you, Phil, I don't think it's a singular repair that's going to fix me. I have osteoarthritis. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> unless you replace all my joints, I just become a robot. Um, it's going to be hard to deal with. I have um, – Throughout the past, taking my low dose C and E, I don't do it all the time. I do take the C, um, and this is more of a supplement thing than food. But I'll take C with my collagen supplements, you know, um, just to try to, just in case it helps. I think that gets overblown, frankly, a little bit, and we've talked about that research. But um, because I don't think I have low C status anyway, but um, but yeah, I'll do my little two fifty C and two hundred E. Uh, if I'm real sore and wrecked all over, like you know, the next day or a day after, I might do a little bit of that. Um, we actually wrote a book chapter on antioxidants uh, and talked about a lot of this stuff years ago. as a dietary supplement book. Uh, I think that was Lip and Cod. I'd have to go back and actually look. Um, and, and I've actually seen some things. And again, it depends what kind of vitamin E. Is it just regular alpha-tocopherol? Is it tocotrienols and one of those? Um they're getting some interesting data out there. But yeah, I, I think it would make sense. You have to have you know, you're going to the gym, get a quality workout, to your point, Phil, and you you're tearing it up a little bit to get a little inflamed and, and cause the growth process. And so you wouldn't want yeah. to screw with that whether it was antioxidants or, or Advil all the time. But I also agree, Mike, a good point. Like you're not gonna stop the strength gains and the, and the mass gains because you take some vitamin C or E or uh, Advil I, It's slightly blunt, maybe enough to detect in a laboratory. But I, I, it's not the kind of thing I would worry about too much, frankly.
2: Um, yeah. And that stuff gets super messy because I did uh, the physiologic flexibility certs. So I have a whole module on uh, cold and there is like three data studies now, a couple from Norway. Or if you do cold water immersion immediately after hypertrophy training, and they've done this where they kind of isolate per lifter, one leg in cold, one leg not, you do see a blunting of some of the hypertrophy response. And I spent, God, I lost track of how many hours I spent trying to figure out, like, what in English does that mean for a lifter, right? If you were going to gain one pound of lean body mass, let's say ideally per month, which is on the high end, does this cut it in half? Does this 10%? Is mm-hmm. it 20%? And you can't even really figure it out because a lot of it is done from uh, fiber hypertrophy studies. It's not done from uh, DEXA or even an MRI. So just the resolution of what we have at a whole body level probably isn't really good enough to give what is the, in useful terms, amount. Does it uh, impair it? Yes. Does it impair it significantly? Probably not, but, you know, 20, 30, 40 percent, no one really knows either. So that's what makes it super hard to try to translate this to a number for someone listening that actually makes sense to them.
0: Yeah, no, it's good. That's a good call. Uh, It's worth pointing out, like, why are we talking about this at all? You're talking about two kind of different sources of a lot of these uh, free radicals, you know, For aerobic people, building their aerobic base and training real hard, you get a tiny, tiny amount of misprocessing. I mean, your mitochondria, I read, are about 99% efficient. But even that other 1%, you know, you don't want oxygen-free radicals damaging your cells. On the lifter part, though, when you're real sore, of course, you're going to get neutrophils embedded in the tissues and and monocytes after a couple of days. And those things, you know, those are soldiers. (laughs) They're meant to combat bad guys, but they'll also look at that muscle sort of micro fragmentation and stuff like that and and unleash their free radicals there. So the big question has always been, do you try to blunt that or do you rely on your natural antioxidant defenses like, you know, glutathione peroxidase or SOD, some of these natural enzyme defenses to handle it for you, and that's kind of been the that difficult thing that I think causes some confusion. Do you need to bolster yourself with a little bit of extra C and E or other things? And to your point, Mike, yeah, even other things. There's lots of other things. Um, or you just you know trust nature and be sore. I guess
2: you know. So. Yeah, at a high level, I I've done a few one off consults with nameless people who were worried about C and E and cold water exposure, and then when we get down into it you know their lifting was pretty good their nutrition was okay but the rest of their lifestyle was a disaster like a trash bin fire <laughs> <laughs> so it's like maybe you should work on decreasing some of your external stress do a little meditation get some more sleep and focus on that and the extra 500 milligrams of vitamin c you're taking and the big picture i don't think is anything to worry about or mm-hmm. mm-hmm. right, i have
0: just one more before we go to break I got this from a colleague, um, a business colleague, actually. Uh, It it brings up metabolic flexibility, so this is more for you, Mike. Hey, it must be good. um, (laughs) Well, it it sounds obvious to me, to be honest, but I know, again, research is always trying to document and validate. But it says this is from Medical Dialogues, and it was written by Kamal Kohli, K-O-H-L-I, it says, want to burn fat? Take coffee half an hour before afternoon exercise. Well, you know, I think we've we've known basically that the caffeine in coffee, right, is going to help with this, <laughs> help with fat mobilization, you know, through PDE and all these different mechanisms. But it says scientists have demonstrated that consuming caffeine, about three mg per kg, or the equivalent of a strong coffee a half an hour before aerobic exercise significantly increases fat burning. Um, And again, yeah, you could see lots of studies going back over the decades, more free fatty acids released if you're fasted and, you know, just drink your black coffee or or what have you. Um, This was in the Journal of the ISSN. So Mike and I have published in that. It says the research examined the effect of caffeine intake on the diurnal variation of maximal fat oxidation rate during graded exercise tests in active men because metabolic flexibility known as the capacity to adapt fuel utilization to substrate availability has recently been suggested, uh, as an additional factor affecting performance in endurance disciplines. So they're kind of throwing into the mix here morning versus afternoon. And, um, I could have swore I've seen research a lot like this in the past, but I'm sure this is unique in some way or they wouldn't have published it. Um, 15 men, average age 32, oh, they're adults, look at this, Um, (laughs) participated in the research, completing an exercise test four times at seven-day intervals. They ingested three milligrams per kg of caffeine or a placebo at 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Anyway, let's cut to the chase. The results of our study showed that acute caffeine ingestion 30 minutes before performing an aerobic exercise test Increased maximal fat oxidation during exercise, regardless of the time of day, explains uh, Francisco J. Amaro. Uh, The existence of a diurnal variation in fat oxidation during exercise was confirmed, the values being higher in the afternoon than in the morning, even for equal hours of fasting. So body tends to burn a little bit more fat in the afternoon, uh, and the coffee
2: always helps. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would have to pull the, the full study. Cause the first thing I would wonder about is did the group that received the caffeine, like what did they do for exercise? Did they just perform more? Um, and then what was kind of the effect size for it? Like some of the earlier data showed that you're, you're right, Lonnie, that increasing, Uh, fat appearance in the blood caffeine does a very good job of that Uh, but there's some earlier studies from like the Gatorade Institute in the 90s that didn't really show that the amount of fat you burned was significantly higher and they looked at like all sorts of different populations too because for the longest time I did this as a consulting for a supplement company they were like hugely hip on well we just need huge amounts of caffeine for our fat burners and I'm like I don't really know how much that does. I know it increases the amount of fat that shows up in the blood, but I don't know if you burn more of it. And if you look at a lot of the studies, even in obese individuals, how much fat is released, right, like polysis, is not usually the rate limiter. It's how much fat you can actually burn through exercise. So I would have to look. I'm curious now. I'll pull the study and see if how much of a difference there was because yeah. maybe there is some more of an effect than we thought
0: now, I've, my understanding was that more fat mobilization generally does drive through mass action a little bit more fat oxidation. Um, but at the same time, uh, w- the way we teach this in class is essentially like, listen, coffee is good for lipolysis, like you're saying, you know, mobilize some fatty mm-hmm. acids. But unless you've got the mitochondrial density, unless you're fairly fit, I mean, let, let's ask let, – do it this way. If coffee is the most drank beverage in the world – Why aren't we all ripped, (laughs) right? (laughs) Uh, And it's because a lot of people, I just think they, you know, they don't have that advantage of more mitochondrial furnaces to burn said mobilized fatty acids, you know, and they're going to be at more of a disadvantage. Um, Anyway, um, it does kind of reinforce the study, you know, yeah, have your coffee. Now, this is 30 minutes, and I found that interesting, too, because most of the performance stuff is 60 minutes um, Mm -hmm. prior to go time. Um, yeah, and I would have to look into the study myself. Again, this is medical dialogues. It looks like it's just sort of one of those um, quasi-professional uh, publications. And again, I got this from a business prof, actually. So, yeah, and it's a JISSN paper. I think we should be able to go dig up uh, the details if we wanted to. So,
2: um, Yeah, well, a lot of that stuff gets super messy, too, because even stuff that we've – And, I mean, Christ, I've taught this for years that, you know, things like the Randall effect and all of that have even been called into question the last five years, too. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So even some of the stuff that we think works that way, we're constantly finding out, oh, maybe we're not so sure anymore. (laughs) Yeah. They also say
0: afternoon, but, uh, you know, the old bodybuilder trick is to drink your black coffee and do your fat-burning, like, non-panting cardio in the morning, um, mm-hmm. partly because you had a longer fast. Now, this is – I think they eat, they sort of controlled for fasting duration, but, you know, in real life, it's easier to be longer fasted when you wake up in the morning.
2: Um, oh, yeah.
0: You know, so there's some of those nuances, too.
2: I was going to say the last nuance, too, is if listeners are trying to do this with coffee, the caffeine amount in coffee varies widely. So probably just you can use coffee if you want, but if you're trying to be uber-precise for a specific uh, ergogenic effect for, like, performance-wise, then I tend to have people use more anhydrous um, caffeine, too. So.
0: Right, yeah. That's why we use the Via instant coffee in our research, mm-hmm. right, because it's there's almost no variations, plus or minus 3 milligrams, you know?
2: Yeah, which is crazy tight for coffee. Yeah.
0: In fact, um, I won't bore everybody this time, but we're actually going to present some stuff. Um, Mike and I and some students uh, in June, and I don't want to spoil the, uh, you know, the presentation for the students or, in, or for the Journal of the ISSN, but uh, we looked at HRV and habituated people and whether or not the coffee was going to stress them out further or not. So there's a lot of cool things with coffee. Obviously, that's sort of my thing lately. <laughs> Okay, let's go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about our top three uh, food, nutrition-type things for self-care.
1: Hello, dear ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, So I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Key Belt. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me, come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text the uh, Keto eBook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it, do it now!
0: Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. For this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lonman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast Airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test. In about 15 minutes we cover taste and texture similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product. To certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? All right, everybody, we're back. It's Phil and Mike and Lonnie, and we're just going to share our top three food and nutrition um, tips or things that we do uh, when it comes to self-care, not performance, right, but self-care. What do you specifically eat to do your body some good? Uh, Phil, let's start with you. What do you think? Uh, Do you do anything purposely, like it just makes you feel good, you're doing yourself a favor kind of thing?
1: Oh, God. Aside from just I I know I feel better if I just eat primarily good food like uh, like last night purposely just had like some steak and vegetables and rice and stuff. So uh, and that's before. Like, I know I squat today. So I make sure that I eat well today, but then we're verging into performance. So uh, mm-hmm. health wise, health wise, man, it's just making sure I get vegetables in, making sure I drink like I've started drinking these electrolyte drinks and things like that. My hydration would be a, a big one because I know I lack on that. So I get busy and well, all I've had was coffee. So all oh, right. Yes. I try and make sure to get my hydration up would be one.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Are there specific vegetables you lean into because you just like them?
1: Man, there's not many I don't like. We eat a lot of asparagus. Um, we always have berries around the house. So we've got a big tub of blueberries, strawberries, and we, oh, you know, nice. when my wife picks those up, we wash them and put them in the fridge. And so they're just ready to grab and go. So it's easy to, easy to have. Um, yeah, and I, I just don't, you know, I like breaded fried food and stuff, but I tend to, you know, we'll fry some food or air fry some food, but it's without breading, things like that. Uh you know, I, I try and keep things simple. Right. <laughs> you know?
0: Non-processed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I just go by the whole, you know, as we've talked about on the show, meat time, I don't. I eat like an asshole more. Non-meat time, eat like an adult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. it's, that's, it's really that simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find that works the best for me. And, like, I'm naturally leaning out now, um, again, just because I'm not away from a meat and I'm eating like an adult so yeah uh, i try to eat oatmeal a few times a week i try to you know all that stuff just feeds right into health like i am in the when i'm away from a meat that's what i think about i'm eating less for performance and more for i want to live for a long time so i'm able to perform
0: right yeah so i can still do this when i'm 70 career longevity yeah
1: yeah i mean so and the older i get the more that uh uh, the the tables have tilted that way a lot more than they used to. That isn't so. that true.
0: Me too. Yeah. Like I, so. I would do all this abusive, you know, dieting. There was a time when I was a dumb kid. I wouldn't eat anything with, with more than three grams of fat or two hundred milligrams of sodium. I'm, I'm not kidding. I still remember this. Um, and you know, I remember getting an underwater weighing tank. I was negative one point five percent fat mm. because you know, obviously that's not possible. Because I was just such a skin, but I, I was also a waif. Right. Yeah. Um, Reading muscle magazines and wanting to stay ripped all the time. And we've talked about that over the years. That's that's not a good idea um, for several reasons, like starving yourself. But, um, yeah, I'm just trying to drill down mostly, Phil, into, you know, what is when you say eating like an adult for career longevity? You know, what is that? And if that's not buying deep fried (sighs) fast food, if that's, you know, berries and veg. It is
1: like. It, it definitely is for me. I mean, it's it's going out to eat once a week, having whatever the hell we want. Um, most of the time eating at home. Um, we'll cook ahead. Things like that. It's like uh, just making it easier on yourself to eat well. Yeah. Uh, it's more meat and veggies and like eggs and stuff for breakfast. You know, we'll add, add in vegetables at breakfast time. You know, whatever. That's that's one thing that I think a lot of people mess up on. And I don't know why it's breakfast is the most abused meal of the day. Mm-hmm. It's like they they view people view certain foods as that is a morning food. And a lot of times that's donuts and shit like that. Donuts, pancakes and I'm like Pastries. it's okay to have yeah. some vegetables with breakfast, you know, it's not going <laughs> to kill you. Uh omelet. it's a lot easier to get them in. Mm-hmm. You know if you're eating them all day. So, uh, make an omelet, throw some vegetables totally. in with that thing. Yeah. You know, so,
0: yeah. How about you, Mike? Um, Top three, nutrition for self-care. Again, just self-care.
2: Yeah, I would go with a big fan of veggie shakes just because they're easy and I can make them ahead of time. So lately I've been putting a lot of uh, spinach in the blender, like as much as I can jam in there. Uh, Blueberries are usually a go-to or some type of uh, frozen berries. You can get them usually year-round. They're not too terribly expensive. And lately I've been putting in also a squeeze of lemon, some limes, some carrots, and that's been about it. So again, not a lot of calories, but pretty high in micronutrition. The nice part is I can just add that to whatever I'm already eating so I can get in more vegetables that way. Uh, So that's been pretty good. I would say similar to Phil, probably hydration over the last two years. It was just something that I, you know, you read all these things about it. And even now, like how much exact fluid you need per day. No one really has a great idea. So I'm like, why don't I just try the experiment of drinking more? So I just started drinking more water and I felt better. But then I got to a point where I was just running to the bathroom all the time. And then I was like, oh, maybe I need more electrolytes, (laughs) especially like on days that I would do like a longer fast on purpose because I dropped my sodium to basically zero that day. So I started adding some of the element packets and that's been really good. So I'll try to drink like a liter of water with one of those packets, which is sodium, magnesium, some other things, um, in it and try to do that before noon. I'm usually pretty good unless it's like super hot out or different environment. Mm-hmm. And the last one's probably, I'd say pretty controversial, but I would actually put uh CBD canum dial on the list. Uh, the caveat being, I think it's probably more beneficial for just um, neurologic health as you age, and potentially if you have any risk of head trauma. So I use it a lot more before I go kiteboarding or activities where I may get hit in the head. Uh, I think most of the data on it and most of the hype you see is just crap, and unfortunately a lot of the products on the market are crap, (laughs) so it gets really hard to... Kind of sort out what is good, what is not, but just from some of the experts i 've talked to and some of the research i 've seen, granted, a lot of it is still quite preliminary because we 're not going to have a human studies where, oh look, perfectly randomized control group, you get a concussion, you don't, and let's <laughs> let's see right, what happens right um, but I think with that, i don 't think there's much of a negative downside other than potential cost, um, but for health reasons, that's one I've been using probably for the past three years. I kind of hedged my bets on.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, we could probably, and we may do a whole episode on the supplemental <laughs> side of self care mm. for sure. I love the shakes thing that you're doing because then, whether you're eating like an a hole, like Phil says, or you're yeah. eating like an adult, you, have, you get this baseline vegetable intake, you know?
2: Because it's yeah, just and on top. A lot of clients, that was the only way it was going to happen, even for myself. Right. Cause it was like, oh, I get in a hurry. I already have my protein already made. I usually have some white rice or potatoes or something. So I have somewhat of a starch. But it was always the vegetables were either non existent or they were already frozen or it seemed like something, something would happen <laughs> with them or I'd have to heat them up separately. And so I found this, and I teach this in the flux that I had served also, that I think it probably stole this concept from John Brady back in the day with super shakes that if I had them already blended up, then I was good to go, and if I was on lower calories, then i 'll just use more highly concentrated less starchy ones if i 'm purposely trying to increase calories then i 'll start throwing in um, more stuff like uh, cantaloupe watermelon, pineapple, mm-hmm. you know things that are a little bit more higher on the caloric side. nothing crazy though yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's that's good. I should probably do that myself. Um, I do find myself running up and down the hall at work a lot, you know, peeing because of the combination of coffee and, like, whey drinks and stuff like that. Um, So it would be more fluid on top of that, I suppose, but it would get the veggies in me, and there's just so many phytochemicals and that kind of thing. I really think that's where the IIFYM guys, you know, they're kind of maybe not completely ignoring, but they're kind of just, you know minimizing the effects of all of these um, like we just like in that blueberry paper we just read, you know, the unknown combinations of stuff. Um, How about you just go eat some whole foods and, you know, blenderizing them is a good way to do that. Um,
1: Yeah, I got a problem with that. If it fits your macros, guys, I mean, it's just an excuse for a lot of people to not eat like an adult.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know, people use it as an excuse to
1: fucking Twinkie fits. It's
0: still a Twinkie yep yeah, you know. shelf life of a million yeah. years kind of thing yeah, <laughs> yeah. It,
2: it, it's true um to do moderation you know because we were down here kiteboarding and someone asked me like well well after you were done kiteboarding what did you have for dinner i'm like mm. well dinner i had two pop tarts a shiner bach and a protein bar <laughs> right yeah <laughs> just because it's yeah it was easy and it was there but That's, like, one meal out of the day, too. It's not like I'm eating Pop-Tarts for, like, every single meal either, you know? And that's the part that people miss out on. They're like, oh, you must be doing that every meal. It's like, no, it's not every meal, so. Right, yeah. I had a student just this past
0: week say, oh, my God, Pop-Tarts, who would eat that? It's such junk. I'm like, listen, if you're depleted and falling apart, bring it, you know? Yeah, Um, yeah, like, you after hours of um, being out on the ocean and
2: stuff. 80 grams of glucose. It's like, I just rode for Three hours, and not that, that my watch is accurate, but it says I burn like 1400 calories. Mm-hmm. So even if half of that is right. Meh, yeah.
0: Who cares? And yeah, is. yeah. And you never live on them. <laughs> you
2: never say, oh, no. you know, if it's
0: my macros, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah.
1: No, that's like we've done canoe trips that are like seven day long where we have to yeah. go, you know, 100 miles and whatever it is. And we'll bring a huge bag of like hard candies and yeah. we'll chow on those all day. But you are like rowing and hiking They're for 10 them. hours a day.
0: You know? right yeah so, like glycogen economy right it's being burned yeah. so fast you're just trying to put some back in the bank
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> We're, we all eat like just as much as we can and a bunch of candy and stuff but we come back like 10 pounds lighter after a week
0: right you know? lighter anyway yeah so, yeah <clears throat> i'm just gonna jam through because mine echo your guys is really um oats and berries i'm a huge fan i do those almost specifically for health reasons. Um, it's a good stick-to-your-ribs kind of breakfast. The frozen berries, I would – frozen berries are as good as fresh um, when you, they, they get flash-frozen and whatnot. I like mixed berries, but I'm kind of partial to blueberries. Different berries provide different things, actually. But um, mm-hmm. And, again, a lot of the nutrition profs that I know – I remember being at a conference at Oxford, actually, when we were over in the U.K. Every single person there agreed, yep, I try to purposely eat berries uh, multiple times a week. So – I I just think that's a fantastic way to go. Plus, I can throw my whey protein in with it, um, and I just make my little, like, oats and berries thing. I know Paul DeMeo, famous bodybuilder, he was a big fan of the oats and berries, almost like a treat. Um, Pre-prep, like Phil, um, chicken breasts and things like that. I'm I'm lucky to have a spouse that helps me do that. In fact, she'll do the lion's share of that. And that way, when I need to grab just a simple grilled chicken breast, I can just grab it and throw it in my lunch or whatever. And then the other thing, I think the only thing maybe you guys didn't say is I'm very wary of my fat choices and just I purposely buy olive oil um, because, again, with like the polyphenols and uh, the monounsaturated fat and all that kind of stuff, I think it's it's great for keeping up fat calories uh, in a way that, you know, think Mediterranean diet and all that sort of thing. I, I don't know a dietitian who would tell you, yeah, avoid the, the MUFA, you know, the monounsaturated fats. Uh, there's not a lot of downsides unless you're – I mean, if I was trying to cut for a contest, no, I probably wouldn't be, you know, glugging olive oil into my vegetables for dinner. But um, fat choices are something I'm I'm very cognizant of, too. But that's going to be it, pretty much. We have already talked up our time, so. There you go. Good stuff. All right,
1: guys. Until next week.
0: See ya. See ya.